study. We thank the Lord for his grace that has seen us through the past week for his mercy, great is his mercy towards us. And we are confident that the Holy One of Israel, he is here to fellowship with us, to teach us by his spirit. So I'd like to welcome everyone. And my prayer is that the spirit of God will indeed minister to all our lives. Shall we bow our heads to pray? King immortal, invisible, the God only wise, the ruler, the possessor of all heaven and earth. Lord, we come before your most holy presence through the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, to join the angels and archangels to worship your holiness and to ask that it may please you, O king of all the kings, the one who dwells in light and approachable, let it please you, O Lord our God, to come and fellowship with us, to teach us by your spirit, to heal, to deliver, to bless, and to cause your people to rejoice in you. We thank you, O God, for all that you do here this evening, for it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. We, we continue this, our journey to the place by his side where we will find love and faithfulness and kindness and awesome mercy. So that's why we use the voice of Moses to say tonight, as Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us on this journey and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good to Israel and the Lord has promised good to us. Moses was conscious of the fact that he was on a relay race. He could see the encounter that Abraham had with God at the time. He still had no child. As the beginning of the race, Genesis 15, 1 to 6, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. 
Abraham tasted the righteousness, ascribed to those who dare to trust the Lord in their lives. Those who dare to trust the Lord God Almighty and step out to travel with him by faith to that place he has promised. Abraham started the race and passed the button to Isaac. Isaac had his own test of faith. In Genesis 26, 1 to 6, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to King Abimelech of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Settle in the land that I shall show you. Reside in this land as an alien, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father, Abraham, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your offspring all these lands. And I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven. Because Abraham, verse, six says, verse 5 says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in, Ger in Gerah. Two things here. For those of us who are on this journey, everyone that is on this journey, God has records. He said to, he said to Isaac, your father obeyed my voice. That's why I'm going to bless you. Your father was faithful to me. He walked before me in confidence and in obedience. Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. God has records. So don't ever believe that everything you're doing before God is in vain. It can never be. It can never be. And, so, and that's why I like to encourage everyone if you have not joined us on this journey, please join. For every step you take to honor God in your life, there is a record before him and there will be blessings as a result. Hallelujah. Can amen. somebody say amen to that? Yes. Amen. Amen. Isaac believed the word that God spoke to him and he stayed in Gira rather than follow common sense to go to Egypt like every other herdsman was doing because of the Nile, you know, it was a, 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 a common sense that if there was famine and drought, go to the Egypt because the Nile is there. Having tasted God's faithfulness and love for his people that he had chosen by himself, Moses told the people to respond to God with love to respond to God with loyalty and obedience. There were two commandments of love that Moses revealed from God. The first is what we call the vertical love revealed in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is alone. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, 
The second is what we call the horizontal love, okay? The horizontal love, which we read from Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, the world is celebrating love today. But much of what is being celebrated is passion. What we must know is that love is much more than passion. But passion is very powerful in love because it makes the sacrifices of love look easy. As we learn from Genesis 29:20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and it seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Jacob had so much passion for Rachel that seven years' servitude looked like a few days. It's for the same reason that married people are advised to protect their passion for each other. Love is patient and kind. Love endures all things. But passion makes the rigors of love's duties and sacrifices appear easy, okay? But this applies only to horizontal love, okay? Vertical love is simply obedience and loyalty, no matter the cost. It derives its own strength, not from passion, but from depth of gratitude. The more we realize that the blessings we receive are most undeserved, the greater our gratitude and the greater our gratitude, the greater our loyalty and obedience. You know, gratitude is so powerful also that when somebody has done us a world of good and we realize it, and then our loyalty, our commitment deepens. The Apostle Paul revealed this when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Apostle Paul said, when you go to Calvary, when you take a trip in the spirit to Golgotha and you see him hanging there and you see his blood dripping, you will see, you will notice, you will observe that as that blood, blood is dropping on the ground, it is forming a four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And the deeper the revelation of that love, the greater and deeper our loyalty and commitment. That's why those who really do not love the Lord, they haven't been to Calvary. Or if they've been, they have not seen that four-letter word, that his blood was writing on the ground. And that's why we go there to appreciate his sacrifice. 
the agony, the pain, the suffering, then the burden of our sins. Then we come away from there determined to be faithful and loyal to him. Calvary is a story of compelling love. It is the love of God in sending Christ our Savior. It is also the love of Christ in paying the price for our redemption. The more we understand it, the more grateful we are. And this gratitude, it translates into loyalty and obedience. Our Lord Jesus spoke this in John 15, 13, said greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. But we must note that giving our love first to God infuses great energy to it so that it can acquire the nature and depth of the love of Christ, which is a self-sacrificing love. Lessons about the love of God and the love for God as obedience and loyalty are key to the journey that you and I have embarked on. We are told that faith is energized by love. So those who have come to grow in their love for God, trusting God is easy or easier by comparison. It's easier for them. The more you love someone, the more you know them, and the more you can trust them without effort. Galatians 5, 6 tells us, for if we are in Christ Jesus, okay, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith activated and energized and expressed, and so working through love. This is the amplified version of it. So when we love God, we are obedient and loyal and simply do as he commands us, whether in his word, the Bible, or spoken to our hearts. For those traveling to the place of his rest, this is the rule of the journey particularly for those who want to arrive and possess their inheritance. Moses stated this in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. This is a modern translation. He says, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit in your houses and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. But if you carefully observe every one of these commands, I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways and remain faithful to him. 
the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. You will drive out nations greater and stronger than you are. Every place the sole of your foot treads will be yours. Your territory will extend from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put fear and dread of you in all the land where you set foot, as he has promised you. Now, reading this in the 21st century, we realize that having God's word with us is, is much easier to do today than when this was written. The word of God is never far from you and I between the computer, the iPad, and the phone. I have an audio Bible on my phone that allows me to access the word of God on the go. So we have no excuse. You and I have no excuse in this modern day. King Solomon said in Proverbs 16 verse 3, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. And so when we embark on this journey, it is a journey to show that we truly love the Lord our God because our hearts are filled with gratitude for God's faithfulness in the morning, his faithfulness at night, his faithfulness when things are rosy, his faithfulness when things are not so rosy. And because of that, we trust him and we are so grateful to him for who he is to us and all that he is to us and all that he does for us. Okay, so we leave it there as we go and rejoin Esther as she journeys to fulfill her own destiny. Okay, Esther, 14, Esther chapter 4. We go to verses 15 to 17. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Shusa and fast for me. Don't let, don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. Now, what exactly was Esther saying to Mordecai? Here is what I believe she was saying. Hello, daddy. I have given it a very hard, long thought. And here is what I propose. Gather all our people because we all have a stake in this. Let us fast and pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After that, I will be ready to go to the king unannounced, contrary to the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. Now, this level and quality of commitment is fundamental to Christian life and to spiritual life. It is all about something to live for. And if necessary, to die for. It is about the quality of commitment that you and I must bring to our Christian life and journey that says to anyone who dares to hear, who cares to hear rather, I am committed to my King and Savior. I am committed to be my God. And if I perish, I perish. The Apostle Paul revealed this level of commitment in his valedictory speech to the Ephesian elders when he said in Acts 20, 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and imprisonment and tribulations are waiting for me there. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The 24th verse is quite revealing of the quality of the apostles' commitment to the gospel of the kingdom of God. It testifies of his personal loyalty to Christ. Now, he said in that verse 24, bonds and imprisonment are waiting for me in Jerusalem. But God, I must go there because that's what the Spirit says. I must finish the work in the way and manner he has ordained. I cannot because of bonds and imprisonment, chicken out. That's why he said, none of these things move me. He is not saying, I do not discountenance the reality. I, I'm not saying that those things cannot happen. No, but I'm saying even if they do happen, I cannot change course because that's what God wants. Now, let us see what happened again in the home of Philip the Evangelist, 
in Acts chapter 21, from verse 8. On the next day, we, Luke now was part of this company. We, who were of Paul's companions, we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus, he came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place, in other words, Christians from Caesarea, we pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed up and we went up to Jerusalem. The apostle said, I bound, I am bound in the spirit. That's what he said in chapter 20. I am bound in the spirit. So what the spirit is doing Bringing prophets to, to, to tell me is to make sure that I am prepared not to, to, to make sure that I don't go. That's what he was saying to them. All these prophecies, they're not saying I shouldn't go. All they're saying is this is the reality of what will happen. You know, you know it is very interesting that this is exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. He, didn't, he was telling the disciples long before it happened, the son of man is going to be crucified. The third day will rise again. You know, you and I may encounter uh, um, difficulties and challenges, but we are really not anticipating it. We are not aware of it. It just happened to us. Okay, but we found ourselves in it anyway. So there's no, we can't go back now. But suppose then we were pre-informed, like happened here, that this is what's going to happen. This is the, this is the trouble that is going to uh, uh, before you, when you get there, but you should still go. Oh, this is where Paul was. You should still go. This is the trouble. Of course, now in retrospect, we know why, because that brought the gospel into Caesar's household. You know, God has his plans. What exactly does it mean then to be bound in the spirit? This is what it means. He was saying to the elders, I have a clear word from God Almighty, communicated to my spirit directly by the Holy Spirit that I should go to Jerusalem. So no prophecy, no uh, 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 emotional outbursts of weeping will stop me. So as a result of that clear word, no threats, real or imagined, prophetic or reasoned, will stop me from going. So as we journey to the place that God our Father has prepared for us, we must bring along the same quality of commitment. Once we hear God clearly 
on any matter and every matter. Neither threats nor prophetic evidence of real danger should deter us from doing what heaven has decreed or ordained that you and I should do. Those are the lessons. Those are the lessons we learn from those who have gone before us on this same journey that nobody should come on this journey without quality commitment so that no matter what challenges confront you, you and I can also say, let come what may. I will do as God says. Amen. Our Lord Jesus is our primary example in this. As he struggled with the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane, let us visit that scene in Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away, from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So, having seen the example the master himself set, how we deal with um, commitment to what God wants in our lives, what Jesus has said, shown here, is that uh, it can be tough, it can be exhausting, it can be exerting, it can be terrifying. But nevertheless, we still go ahead and do it. That is it. That is the commitment. So let us revisit Paul's experience in the home of Philip, the evangelist. Luke, the historian, who wrote the book of Acts, was there. He said, we wept. We tried our best to persuade him that it is foolhardy to know what you know about the dangers that lie ahead and still insist on going to Jerusalem. Paul's response we could put as follows. If the God of heaven who sees and knows all things is insisting that I go nevertheless, then nothing is going to stop me. That is what God is looking for in your life and in my life. Men and women who know what it means to commit everything to God and to let his will be done. So let us uh, revisit Esther then. The summary of Esther's commitment is in this phrase, and if I perish, I perish. 
so be it. But what exactly does Esther mean by this? Now, here's what she was saying. The worst case scenario is that I will appear before the king and he will not extend his scepter to me. And as a result, I will be taken away and killed. I have prepared myself for that worst case scenario. This is what happens, you know, and that's why you, you, you know, in encouraging one another, we can say to each other, like I say to people often, find out what is your worst case scenario. What is the worst thing that can happen? And then face it. So, die, so you die only once. Don't die many times, like Chesper said. Die only once, that if, if it comes to this, then let it be. So Esther considered her worst case scenario. That's the only way to trust God. Consider your worst case scenario. A man, okay, is, um, is uh, 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 seeking a contract. They say, oh, oh, you, you, you know what to do, you know? You know what to do. You know what to do. And he said, oh, no, I don't do that. He said, well, then you're not going to get it. He said, well, if, if that is it, let it be. That is how to face your worst case scenario. If because I've said no, this is what is going to happen, then let it be. But I won't because of that say yes. You see, unless we develop that kind of faith, unless we develop that kind of boldness, inner strength and courage, then, then we will not be able to change our world. We will not be able to change our world. And that's why they call it a self-sacrificing love. We put all our interests at stake and we opt to do what God wants. Fear of the unknown can cause paralysis and result in not stepping out to do what God expects of us. Because you're wondering, well, how am I going to cope? You know, if, if they cut off this, if they cut off that, how am I going to cope? Ah, I don't think I can, I can afford to take that risk. That's what Mordecai was telling Esther. You have to take that risk. Now, it's the same. That's why you and I, you know, in the problem of institutionalized corruption, pervasive evil, you know, joining the multitude to do evil, everyone on this journey. You have to stand up and say to yourself, what is my worst case scenario? That's why uh, 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 a young woman that is single, a man comes and says, if we don't sleep together, I cannot marry you. And then the young woman should be able to say, if that's the only way to get married, I will remain single. That is it. You see, everybody, everybody has their own, their own uh, 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 worst case scenario to compromise with evil, to be part of the rot, to be part of the corruption that is going on. Everybody has their own case. Where you are and where I am may not be the same. But you have your own where you are to stand up and say, what, what is the worst thing that can happen to me in this place under these circumstances? I face it so that I can only die once, not many times.
So that's what Esther is saying to us today. Learn to face your worst case scenario squarely and resolve to do as God expects and God wants. At the end of the day, declare it to all who can care to hear. If I perish, I perish. Esther realized that to be able to take such a stand, we need what the Bible calls strength in the inner man. The Apostle Paul, not surprisingly, he knew about this strength and he prayed for the Ephesian Christians to possess it too. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That is the strength, the courage, the boldness that the Holy Spirit infuses to our human spirit. And then through that power, the human spirit prevails on the soul to stay the course, to be loyal, to be faithful to God, no matter what. And that's why um, you hear Christians say that nobody can be Christian in their own strength. It's not possible. Because of all these powerful intimidatory forces around us. Now, one thing everybody needs to understand is that this strength is not macho. You know, it's not bold-faced. You know, it's not uh, what they will hear we will call a boju. No, no, no. It's not that type of thing. All of that will, in the face of real danger, all of that will uh, uh, fritter away. Okay? It is the strength that the Holy Spirit infuses, okay, to give us courage and still and steely resolve that will make us not to flinch no matter the challenge. Nobody can possess that in their own, on their own. Esther urged Mordecai and all her people to fast and pray to the God of all heaven and earth for his favor. For you and I know that when heaven favors us, then the world will favor us. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote about this in Isaiah chapter 50. From verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary, is experienced. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. If that is what it would take to do what God wants. That's what the prophet is saying. For the Lord God will help me. That's his confidence. Okay. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. And because I have that faith in God, I have set my face like a flint. You see, hard like a stone. Oh, yes. 
and I know that I will not be ashamed. He said, that's what the uh, prophet is saying. He said, you know, when you know what God wants, when you know what God is saying, okay, because you are confident that at the end of the day, God will prevail. You set your face like a flint. The faith that will not waver. That is the steely commitment that those who have gone on before us brought to this journey so that, so that the world will not be blowing us like a reed in the wind. <laughs> so when we say no, when we say no, no, this is wrong, I can't do it. Then everybody knows we mean no. The prophet said, my confidence is based on my faith in God. All things will work together in the end for my good. So let us um, bring this to a close. This lesson on resolute commitment, which Esther showed us here. Our Lord Jesus left us an inspirational example on commitment. Those who follow me, he said, must commit and follow through no matter the threat. Luke 12, 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot afterward do anything worse, okay? I will show you whom to fear. Fear God, who after killing has the authority to throw into hell. Believe me, believe me, he is the one you must fear. I read five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one sparrow is forgotten by God. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. That's what Jesus is saying to you and I as we travel. So do not be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. I assure you that those who declare publicly that they belong to me, the son of man, will do the same for them. I will do the same for them before the angels of God. But those who reject me publicly, the son of man will also reject them before the angels of God. Whoever says a word against the son of man can be forgiven, but whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit, he will not be forgiven. Now, verse 11 says, when they bring you to be tried in the synagogues or before governors or rulers, do not be worried about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you will say. So brethren, we're on a journey that teaches us commitment and reinforces it all along the way so that we may develop the courage and the boldness necessary to always say no to what is wrong, no matter the cost. So, as we bring this to a close, watch out for your next commitment, uh, for your next uh, uh, challenge. Oh, yes. Challenge to your personal commitment and loyalty to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of the word of God, to the truths that you know about the kingdom of God to godliness, to loyalty to Christ. I say a prayer for yourself, for you, as I pray, I say for myself, that God may empower us right now. Amen. Always say no Amen. to what is wrong. Amen. Amen. So that we can become light in this world of darkness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Amen. doctor. Amen. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank in your, in your, you opening, so much, in your opening monologue, 
in your opening monologue, you you highlighted the blessing, the generational blessing that was unleashed onto Isaac because of Abraham's uh, obedience, obedience yes. to God. I'd like you to please just um, highlight that once again, sir. Yes, it is important for us because you see, sometimes people think that, oh, oh, I'm obeying God, I'm not receiving, you know, according to the world, because the, the, the world has all this um, one plus one equal to a formula approach. But um, um, God was saying to Isaac, all that 20 something years that Abraham continued to obey God, okay, he, he didn't, he didn't uh, run off and do his own thing. No, he hung on there. It has come up to me for remembrance and I'm going to bless you as a result. So that's why we are faithful because even if you don't get all the blessings of your faithfulness, you see, God will make sure that he passes on to your children. And that's why you see, uh, like one preacher told us, he said, you cannot, you cannot compare notes because you see, the man that you are thinking, you know, is so blessed, is so blessed. You don't know what is in his, what blessings are stored in his generations. You see, what his forebears had accumulated, which is enjoined. That's why God could say to Solomon, you went and built idol shrines for, for your wives. I would have dealt with you. But for who? David, your David. father. Yes. Because David was your father. I will, not, I will not take the kingdom from you. But I'll take it from your son. Because of David. I have, I have respect for David. That is it. So that's why we, we have to be faithful to God. You know, because I say to believers, or I say to people generally, if you cannot uh, 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 store blessings for your children, please don't leave a curse. Don't leave a curse. Amen. Please. Amen. Okay, so the, the, the second thing is this um, age-old uh, debate that we're going on about whether Paul was being stubborn as opposed to interpreting prophecy in the light of divine instruction because he knew that he had a, he had a, a commission from God to go to Jerusalem. You know, it's always been debated. So you highlighted that and I'd like you to just add, add your voice to that once again. Every time. I hear people say that. I say it's because they don't understand. It's like saying to that Jesus knew he was going to the cross. So why did he come? It's the same thing. Doesn't make any sense at all. You know, Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew it. So why did he come? You know, the Bible said when it was time, he set his face going steadfastly to Jerusalem. Uh -uh. How can anybody say such a thing? In this, it's, it's because of, you know, the, the people don't realize that um, divine, the, the, the interpretation of divine purpose is that it must always lead you to a bed of roses. But even there, are there no thorns? <laughs> Please don't, okay, don't join them. Don't join them to say that thing because it, it shows that they don't understand what the whole thing is all about. You see, uh, God called a man to, to show. The apostle Paul said, he said, God, God wants to show that through me, grace has been perfected. You know, somebody who was a, a murderer of Christians before, you know, when they called Paul, they, they charged Ananias, go, go and baptize him. 
I've already told him how many things he will suffer. Ah, that was at the blueprint from the beginning. For my sake, I've already shown him how many things he will suffer. So Paul was not shaking suffering. So those who are saying that uh, uh, the prophetic, uh, the prophecy of Agabus and all the people who prophesied that bonds and imprisonment should have made him that he stubbornly. Ah, they, when they told him to go to Jerusalem, they didn't tell somebody to tell him. So why should now somebody come and tell you that you shouldn't go when they didn't tell somebody to tell you in the first place? That is what killed the prophet from Judah. You know, he went to Jeroboam with a ma direct mandate from God. And then that mandate said, when you finish, don't return by the same way you went. And don't eat or drink there. And then another person writes up and says, I'm a prophet like you. They say you should come and eat, you know. And then he took him. And while they were eating, the same prophet prophesied, ah, you're not going to reach your more because you disobeyed the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, people shouldn't be saying things like that. They need to study the Bible properly. And you and, and the larger and the larger implications are of interpreting prophecy in the light of divine, clear divine instruction for us. Yes, once you have gotten a clear word, there's no greater prophecy than that. Okay. If you started off, okay, you were not thinking of going to Jerusalem. But then Agabus came and said, you know, he, 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 he dreamed that you went to Jerusalem. I can understand. So if another Agabus comes the next day and say, I dreamt you shouldn't go. Uh, one Agabus and another Agabus. <laughs> then you are not sure which Agabus is really correct, you know? But this is not the case at all. A man says, I, I, I go to Jerusalem bound in the spirit. What is the meaning of that? What is the meaning of that? In other words, the spirit had told me to go to Jerusalem. You know, he didn't tell another person. Do you know what it means to bound, to be bound? Say, I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. No choice. Yes, I don't have a choice in the matter. Yes. We have, a, we have another question. Sir. He says, sir, how do you handle situations where is one spouse is not on the same page when it comes to heeding God's clear instructions, especially when it's the wife, and then she's called to submit? Who gets the wife's loyalty and commitment? Yes, it's supposed to be God, but then sometimes marriages have uh, hit the rocks as a result. You see, um, when it comes to uh, marriage, the, the, the matter is very simple, okay? When you do what God expects you to do, who are you doing it for? You're doing it because of God. That's what he expects you to do. And so you do it. In fact, what your prayer would be, Lord, even if um, the, my spouse is not responding correctly, I need grace so I can still do it with joy. And then where is that joy going to come from? It's not because my spouse is responding correctly. It's because I have grace to do what God wants. Nevertheless, that's where the joy is coming from. You know. So a lot of people re don't realize that um, when they say God blessed Abraham because he obeyed my voice, uh -uh. it didn't say it was easy for him too. You know. Do you know how many Canaanite women would have wanted him to marry them? 
you know, but he said he turned all of that, you know, it was only Sarah that uh, suggested they use uh, uh, um, Hagar, you know. So let, let, us, let us do what God wants. He, he has not said that it will always be a, a smooth sailing all the time. But what is necessary is to commit to doing what God wants. And where there, is where there are challenges and difficulties, pray for grace. Because that's what enabling and sustaining grace is all about, you know, so that you find that you have capacity beyond ability, which we always talk about at the KLS, capacity beyond ability, supplied by the grace of God. In other words, he stretched your, your capacity so that you're able to do this thing that is very difficult for you otherwise. Okay, so there's a question that says, um, God is against incomplete obedience, as in the case of Saul when he spared Agag. He says, uh, are we... Are we covered by grace, or do we still face such uh, extreme consequences? <laughs> um, the truth of the matter is that uh, they judge you. You know, you know. That's why Jesus said, "He that doesn't know what to do, but commits things worthy of stripes." Our Lord Jesus Christ said, "He will be beaten with few stripes." <laughs> but he that knows and commits something worthy of stripes, it will be beaten by many stripes. So knowledge and responsibility, they go together. So now you have talked about incomplete obedience. So, so you cannot do it again because you know about it. You know. So once you know about something, then you cannot go and, and be hoping that... Um, uh, uh, it will, work, it will work for you. You saw how roundly uh, Samuel denounced Saul when he said, does God have interest in all these sacrifices? You know, the, 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 the goats and sheep, eh? and in obeying the voice of the Lord. So, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. Say so you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you. That is it. So, okay, how can somebody finish reading that? And then turn around and say, well, um, grace should cover me with incomplete obedience, for incomplete obedience. No, we shouldn't do things like that. That's what David said in Psalm 19, uh, verse, uh, I think it's 13 or 14, said, deliver me from presumptuous sins. That's a presumptuous sin. Someone is asking a question, sir. What grace is available for a woman who is constantly being beaten by her husband? Now, when it comes to physical abuse, when it comes to physical abuse, you know, um, um, Matthew 18 immediately kicks in. If, if you have to discuss it with him, if he doesn't stop, take a witness, he doesn't stop, uh, um, report to the church, okay? That's Matthew 18. If he still doesn't stop, then treat him like a, an infidel, an unbeliever. And that's why I tell pastors often when we share on this matter that they should have a zero tolerance for physical abuse. So if somebody is physically abusive all the time, um, um, then they need to intervene before something serious, very serious can happen. However, having said that, I must tell you um, the story my professor of psychiatry told us in medical school. 
about the lady who came to him and said, uh, and, and said that uh, uh, her husband used to beat her and she went to Babalao and the Babalao gave her a shining pebble, a stone, a piece of stone and said to her, anytime you suspect that your husband is going to beat you, put that stone in your mouth and bite it. When you bite it, you will send powerful signals to your husband and he will not beat you. And the lady um, gleefully testified to the professor that since I started using that stone, <laughs> my husband has not beaten me again. The professor said, please continue to use it. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes, you know, uh, uh, some, some ladies may need that stone, you know, so that when they bite it, they, they, the fight will not deteriorate. You know? so, 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 that, <clears throat> so there are two sides to it. And that is one side that sometimes, you know, people say things that provoke others. You know, that, that is, that's no justification for being intemperate. No, you know, that's, what, that's the fruit of the spirit, self-control. But then we can also ask the Holy Spirit um, to control our reaction to provocation so that we, we don't add to the, to, to the fire. Instead, by that control, you know, we will reduce um, um, all this um, uh, violence. But there is no excuse for physical abuse. There is no excuse. Thank you, you very much, it, doctor. Report it to the church. Thank you very much, doctor. Will you give us a, a prayer and then we'll take our offering, sir? Okay, shall we pray? Holy Father, you have called us out. We are a called out people to travel on this journey to the place you have promised. Oh, Lord, our God, may it please you to quicken us indeed, every one of us by your spirit, that, Lord, we may travel correctly, developing all those virtues we need to be and to do as you desire. And, Lord, as your people travel, may it please you to touch everyone, those that are sick in their bodies. Let them be healed now in the mighty name of Jesus. Those that have needs, oh, God, may your Holy Spirit Meet them at the point of their need. Give each one a testimony of your kindness, of your mercy, of your faithfulness. For it is in Jesus' precious name we have prayed.